0: Welcome to the West Side Gathering podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in.
1: We started a brand new series two weeks ago, so it's not brand new anymore. It's actually three weeks old because we're on the third week. And we kicked off this series called Pressure Points to really just pause and explore some of the common pressure points that many people have felt during the pandemic, some related, some unrelated to the pandemic. And we started with two weeks. Brett Ullman was with us. He did an awesome job helping us walk through, at least initially, some themes re- um, uh, associated with mental health. Uh, it's not over yet. This Tuesday night, you can sign up for a live Zoom conversation with Brett. So send in your questions. Register for that. That's happening this uh this Tuesday night. And next fall or next season, we're going to be introducing an eight-week workshop called Sanctuary to help uh, anybody who's interested process some of these things in, in deeper ways. Today, I'm moving on to another theme. And uh, it's hard to follow up Brett. I mean, info, rich, uh, relevant teaching, a lot of data points. And he, uh, he encouraged me. He said, uh, Dave, I do talks Like this with this kind of information, thirty times a year, you're creating a brand new talk every week. I'm like, okay, good. I don't have to like do exactly like you do, you know. (laughs) Um, And so today we're we're shifting gears, and I want to talk about the social crisis or crises that's been happening in our world that we've felt the burden over or the experience of. That that sometimes it's hard to articulate and hard to even consider addressing. There's a department of the United Nations called the Department of Economic and Social Affairs. And they, they said this about this recent 15 months. They said COVID-19 has been more than a health crisis. It's been a human crisis, an economic crisis, and a social crisis. And in fact, its impacts have been attacking societies at their core, But it hasn't just been the pandemic. While the pandemic's been going on, kind of like this one line, there's been this other line of other crises going on. You can search this, Google this. There's one media company called Provoke Media. They listed 20 crises that went on in 2020. Some were connected directly to the pandemic, some completely unrelated, but still happened at the same time. And whether you or I have been hit directly or indirectly by some of these things, we can identify with some of these social crises. Here's kind of like four big categories that I've been seeing. One is conspiracy theories. They've been popping up, ramping up, they're all over the internet, and it's creating skepticism and fear, it's causing division, it's causing division in families and communities, and we see them more widespread than ever, and it seems like the pandemic even made them accelerate stuff going on with the climate or extreme weather things. Some of the things that went on out on the West Coast where the wildfires just ravaged communities. People lost their homes, uh, wiping out communities on the West Coast. We see conflicts, just the most recent one, right in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine and, and in the Gaza Strip. And, and, and we, we see these things going on from a distance. Maybe we know some friends that are related to, to this or, or feeling the pain uh, directly. But here, that's just one example of conflict. Going on in the world this last little while. And then cultural. One of the big ones last year, racial injustice, and which kind of spurred on the Black Lives Matter movement from the death of George Floyd, that just added fuel to this to the fire of racial injustice. And we tried to address that last year. And I remember just thinking about all these things, and it feels like it's kind of all around us. When I was a teenager, I worked for a landscaping company for about 4 or 5 years and often I share you or I, maybe I bore you or like let you you know kind of deal with my weird stories from my teenage years but early on in like landscaping I remember that our company said hey you got to come one day you got to clean the, the warehouse, uh, you got to clean the main office and the nursery and the garage. Now, this was like 60th Avenue in RDP. This was like as east as you can get in the east end. They speak another language at 60th Avenue in the RDP. Uh, just joking. But anyways, so we were working that day, and several blocks away, closer to the refineries, was this company called Lomax. And Lomax makes cosmetic products, and I have no idea what they're burning, but the smell was horrendous. And now add wind leading to us and add the extreme heat, and here we are working outside, cleaning cleaning this nursery in the extreme heat and the smell from Lomax. And uh, I swear, 30 years later, it's still in my nostrils. I can feel it. That's how thick it was. And if you thought we only wore masks today, that day, and for a couple of days, I wore a mask because it was that bad. And you know what? The air from Lomex wasn't directly in my face. I wasn't standing over the chimney. I wasn't like right, you know, in its parking lot, but it was in the atmosphere. It was just in the atmosphere that week and sometimes this is the reality right a, subs- a substance could hit us directly or it can hit us indirectly either way we can be affected the last 15 months have we have not just been affected by the pandemic directly but on top of that there's been these social crises that have been going on in our world in our country in our continent around the globe and it's made the atmosphere feel thick feel thick some of us have been hit directly with one or more of these crises, some of us indirectly, but you know what? We're all breathing the same air. We're all breathing the air of these crises going around, uh, happening around the world. One of the most, uh, I think, prominent one related to COVID has been social exclusion and emotional unhealth that so many people have been hit with, in this crisis but then on top of that maybe one of the bigger ones that happened in the last year has been racial and ethnic injustice what was what was exposed last year uh through the death of george floyd what was just a reminder horrific reminder of what happened in residential schools for indigenous people in our country the recent family muslim family that was murdered last week like these things are happening around us and they're right in our face. And some of us are directly related or indirectly related, but we all are breathing this air. And it makes me think about this pressure point because it feels like society is in a battle between despair and hope. In this battle between despair and hope. There's a writer, his name is Esau Macaulay. I'm reading one of, his first, one of his books for the first time. And he wrote a great book called Reading While Black. And uh, as, I don't know if the picture's up, but he's uh, an African-American who teaches at a seminary called Wheaton uh, out, in, out in the States. And he wrote this incredible book I've been reading lately. And it's an awesome book because it, it, it really shares a biblical message and hope in African, African-American reading of Scripture. In other words, how do African-Americans read the Scriptures? How have they traditionally? And it's it's really great book to read. But I loved reading the backstory. One of the backstories for him, because he, in a funny way, he said he grew up with a tension between the music that he heard growing up. On one side, back then he was probably using a Sony Walkman. If anybody knows what a Walkman is, they don't exist today except in relic stores and maybe pawn shops. And I have a broken one at home somewhere in my basement. But he was probably listening to his favorite music, hip hop with one of these Walkmans, and yet his mom in their home stereo was always blaring gospel music. And so he had both these genres of music. Now, he kind of liked both, but he described it this way. He said that there was often this nihilism or loss of hope or what he also called utilitarian, meaning like you do whatever you got to do to survive, often found in hip-hop music, compared to his mom's music that was kind of like highlighting a biblical story rooted in hope. And he describes that listening to both, he actually, this was his exact words, he says, I lived with the tension of black nihilism, or black despair, and black hope. And now that's his experience, that's his upbringing. But I think that metaphor is generally true for all of us. Each of us, tell me if I'm wrong, has to start our day rooted in one of those stories, rooted in one of those beliefs, rooted in one of those um, narratives, and especially when we're bombarded by social crises, and we live in a world with social media that just ex- exponentially increases those stories in our minds. And so I, I think that we're all in a battle between despair and hope. We're all in a battle between survival and hope. And while, like this morning, we sang, and it was, it was hopeful words in the music we sang. It was part of the biblical story we, we just reveled in God's love for us and that he's our heavenly father and we're his kids. While a follower of Jesus should live rooted in a different story, we all experience and interact with a world in crisis. We all, day to day, are interacting with the same world. And these social crises that we have weathered this year have weighed heavy, heavy on many people's hearts, many people's experiences, directly or indirectly. And it reminds me of something Mr. Rogers said. Uh, in fact, there's a really cool stained glass um, art that was just created of him. It's hanging in New York City somewhere. Uh, and it's a really, really cool picture. But he, he's, he's famous for these words of one of the songs he wrote. He says, what do you do with the mad that you feel? What do you do with the mad that you feel? He taught little kids all over North America to process their feelings and to process what they're going through. And he asked that question in this song. What do you do with the mad that you feel? And so like my question to you, and I'm not going to put my cardigan on now or anything like Mr. Rogers did, but my question to you is, what do you do with the experiences and the emotions caused by the social crises in our world? What do you do with that? How do we handle that? How do we process that? Unfortunately, what happens is in our world, many people just take sides. I'm like this side or another side. Or maybe we get polarized. Maybe we get into debates. Maybe we argue. Maybe we, we post simple memes, memes on our Facebook page or on Instagram or TikTok or whatever platform we use. Or Many people share unverified opinion bombs in their conversations or in their posts or in conversations. And you can just see comments on threads of people just hashing out everything they think and would believe or have their opinion about. And it's usually our own. Sometimes we reduce a social crisis to an opinion, to a meme, to a political talking point, or worse, we use an ideology or a religion to hijack the issue. And what we do is we throw fire, we we throw fuel to that fire, rather than water. So what I want to do today, I want to take Brett's approach the last couple of weeks, where he gave us this framework of body, mind, and soul. You know just how we can 't approach mental health only in one facet we we 're a human being and we, we need to approach it with body mind and soul and 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 you might think well that 's just a framework it 's nice to say body mind and soul is that really biblical and the Hebrew word for soul is the word nephesh and if you go into your Old Testament right now and open your Bible and find ways that nefesh has been translated in the English, you'll find a different, different words. The word living creature, the word life, the word person, the word soul, the word mind. And what you get by this is that when uh, in, in the Hebrew language, when they use the word nefesh, they just did not mean your inner soul. They meant your mind, your heart, your spirit, your thinking, your body, all of your life was kind of encompassed in this word nefesh. In other words, it encompasses everything you are. And so Hebrew thought, which also influenced the New Testament writers, viewed us as holistic body, mind, and soul people. So when we hit a crisis, we can't just address it with the mind, or with the soul, or with the body. We need to think about it holistically. So I, I want to I take that framework and use it the next couple of weeks as we kind of jump from topic to topic in our series. And I want start to start using that again today, just the social pressure points in our world. How do we start, like, dealing with that with our body? And I want to think about the body as obviously who we are and, and our experience. Because before you and I will share an opinion, before you and I should ever say, I like or dislike this, or you should do this, or you shouldn't do this, or this is how you should react, Or take sides, what if we put ourselves in the person's shoes? Think about your body, right? Putting myself in somebody's shoes is a metaphor of what would it be like to live their life? What would it be like to go through the crisis they're going through as them, not as me? What would it be like to be a family member uh, or a relative of one of those 215 kids that the remains were found under that place in B.C.? What would it be like if I put myself in their shoes, Think back a year ago, George Floyd's death was a tragedy. And it triggered a reaction on on cumulative past events and racial injustice and all these things. And I'm telling you, like anybody, I, I likely had an opinion that day, that week, that month. I probably, like anybody else, thought, why did this happen? What if they would have done this? What's really the story behind this? What about this? What about that? You know, uh, what about good cops? And all these different things, right? And so we could immediately just kind of like share our thoughts. And I remember for me, I realized, wait a second. And it was something I think many of us did. We, we chose to talk with people and put ourselves in their shoes, We particularly interviewed Dina Smith, an extended part of our community, someone who's an advocate here in Montreal, as well, and interviewed a friend. There's a neighbor on my street, his name is Dan. Um, I talk with him often when I'm, when I'm walking my block or stop my car. And, and um, he, I, I, I remember when this happened last year, I just stopped and we had like a 30, 40-minute conversation. I had to say, Dan, what do you think of all this? How are you feeling? What, what are some of these experiences that you've had raising your kids? And he started to open up and share some of these things that weren't my experience. They were his experience and it helped me put myself in his shoes my body, in his place, instead of just me. I, my wife and I, were we chose to participate in, in um, a town hall on Zoom with an organization called WIPCA. WIPCA is, is West Island Black Community Association. And I was, we, while we were participating on the town hall, I saw uh, someone's face, and I don't know if you do this you know, when you're on a Zoom call. It's great. You can see everybody's face, right? And then I saw this person, and their last name was Trim. And I'm like, that's Josh's dad, Josh, who plays drums with us. And maybe you don't know, Josh, Josh's dad is, um, is, is fully black. And I saw someone there, and I'm like, hey, that's Josh's dad. I'm gonna, I want to talk to him. I don't really know him, but he's on this call, and he's a Christian, and he's in our community. I should, so I gave him a call. We had an amazing hour or so talk. And he helped me get in the shoes of someone even growing up in our city. It was, it was a, a way for me to, to engage in a social crisis with my body before I blurt out my opinion to put myself in somebody's shoes. It, something changes when, when, we, when someone's right in front of us. There's a guy at our church, actually. Uh, he, he, he loves food. He's a foodie. Every time we talk, he, he, he helps me understand, like, another place I should visit in Montreal to eat. By the way, there's amazing pitas with something called Zita on it in the Depaner in Poinclair Village. I never, I had no clue that this Depaneur imported these amazing pitas from Pierre Boulevard. Anyways, that's a side note. It's free when you're in Claire Village. Go have one of these things. Um, but he was telling me, he walked into this place on... In Marsha de Oeste, it's called Kosher Paradise. It's near Mandy's in there. And uh, he says it's the best chicken sandwiches you can ever have. So one day I'm going to have to try them. But he walked in, and, and uh, there was an Orthodox Jew who was serving him. And this conversation started about the Israeli and Palestinian crisis and what's going on. And then he started to talk about Palestinians in the city and nothing volatile but not really positive. And so he assumed my, uh, my friend was um, Israeli because of his look. And then uh, he said, yeah, well, I, as an Israeli or a Jew, you must know what I'm talking about. And he's like, well, actually, I'm Palestinian. And all of a sudden, like, oh, you know, I know this is a complicated story. I don't, I don't mean, and he just backtracks, right? He starts to, because now you can't just talk about it. There's a, there, here's an Orthodox Jew and a Palestinian right in front of each other, and one's ordering food from your restaurant. What are you going to do? And so it's putting yourself in people's shoes and until the person or the crisis is in front of you, you don't know what you don't know. And that's really important to understand when these social crises hit. To begin to recognize that we don't know what we don't know. And it leads to this next part. How we, when these social crises happen, how do, how do we engage our mind? it doesn't mean that you need a degree. Nobody has, like, I'm not telling you go get a bachelor's degree in international studies and global crisis issues and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But do we understand the crisis at all before we talk about it? I mean, I'm not an economist. I'm not an anthropologist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not, um, you know, a meteorologist. (laughs) I'm none of those things. Sometimes I like to talk like I am, but I promise you I know none of that stuff. I'm really ignorant in most of that stuff. But you know what? To carry the weight of a social crisis usually means we need to grow some insight in the area. Usually means we need to learn something we don't know. Usually it means before I I lean into something, before I comment on it, before I even pray about it, do I I understand it at all? Last year when when just the rise of the theme of of racial injustice came up, I picked up another book on this topic called The Color of Compromise. And this author helped me see even the church's involvement during slavery, during history. And it helped me realize I can't ignore history. I can't ignore what was involved there. And that helped me understand how to pray and how to listen and how to discern. To be honest, when the news came up a couple of weeks ago about these, the remains of these 215 children, I, I felt Paralyzed i did not know like how should i respond should i just post something on my facebook page to say that i'm empathetic towards this do i have to find a quote do i should i share an opinion is there like should i even like what do i do it was such horrific news and this as the social crisis was unearthed and had to be relived by so many indigenous communities i again i felt ignorant of it i really did and part of me still is and i thought what could i what could i say and a friend of mine her name is jennifer lee and she's served with and worked with indigenous communities over the years she shared a talk from uh, a christian um, theologian who works at the vancouver school of theology but he's also part of an indigenous community so i thought you know what i'm gonna listen to this person whom is part of the indigenous communities and is also a committed Christian, and I listened to his story, and his words, and I allowed him to be my teacher for 45 minutes, and it was one of the best 45 minutes spent in relation to this topic, because it helped me understand what I didn't know, and then it helped me understand how my posture towards it, and how I could pray, and what kind of grieving was really going on behind the scenes, and, and until you can sometimes search these things out before you form an opinion, before you respond, before you just post something, whether it's positive or negative about issues that come up, it's so important to just learn a little bit. Because it means that one, it, it forces us not to ignore the issue, and it forces us not to be ignorant about the issue as well. And then for me at least, I'll tell you for me, it prevents me from feeling paralyzed. It prevents me from being paralyzed by the crisis that can sometimes create a sense of hopelessness because you're just like, well, what do I do? How do I respond? And, and here's, here's the last piece of this, uh, this three-piece process, body, mind, and, and the last one is soul. And when we think about soul, it's not like experience or education like body and mind are. It's contemplation. We begin to contemplate, and we, 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 become, we become present with God in the moment. And when you, when you look at the biblical story, God's people uh, in the life of Israel or the church, over the years, they give us a practice that we can adopt, a prayerful practice that we can adopt to deal with crises like this, whether we've been directly affected or indirectly or just breathing the air of this. And the practice is lament. The practice is lament. It's a form of grief. And I can tell you that, that because from my own experience and lack of experience, that grief is something many people avoid. And sorrow is something many people avoid. Uh, I've said this before that when we've walked through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, the one topic on grief was the one that hit me because I realized I don't know how to grieve. I struggle with that. The scriptures, though, call us to this practice called lament. One of the Old Testament prophets, his name is Jeremiah, he was known as the weeping prophet because he cried over the the struggles of of his city, Jerusalem. He, He saw the city at ruins and in tragedy, and he wept over it. In fact, he's known to have penned another book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. Lament, Lamentations. And Stylistically, he writes it like, like an acrostic, like from A to Z. You know, A is for apple, B is for bedroom type of thing, right? C is for carrots, whatever. So, in the, in his own Hebrew language, he wrote it out acrostically, acrostically, like in with the, the letters of the alphabet. And people wondered, like, why did he do that? Was he just trying to trying to be creative? No, what he was trying to do was unpack as much of the grief that was going on him in him as possible. By walking through the alphabet and saying, how can I describe what I'm feeling through the letter A? Or in Hebrew, Aleph. How can I describe, you know, describe what I'm feeling through the letter B, through the letter C? It's just a, it was a process. What he was doing, he was letting out the pain in a, in a form of lament. The scriptures have lament in it. And one of the places we can find it is actually in the Psalms. In Psalms chapter 10, I want to give you guys an example. There's, there's many Psalms you can you can reach to, but Psalms 10 is a great, is a great example. There's many others, and I'll, I'll share with you in a second. But I just, just I want to help us just see this. And trust me, I'm not going to teach on this whole thing. I'm just going to, like, walk through it really, really fast. And so, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. Just watch on the screen, but just listen. The, the, the process of lament has about four or five pieces to it. And the first thing is... In a lament, you address God personally. Here's Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? There's no beating around the bush. This psalm writer is grieved, (laughs) and he's confused, and he's like, Lord, where are you? But he addresses God personally in his lament. Then he acknowledges or confesses the crisis, which is the next step in a lament. And he says in verse 2, In arrogance the wicked persecute the poor. He's acknowledging what's going on. This is the tragedy. This is the tragedy. The wicked are persecuting the poor. And he'll unpack it a little bit more. But that's part of lament. Acknowledging or sometimes confessing, if we're complicit in it, what has gone on? What's been the crisis? The next phase is to bring that pain or those questions boldly to God in this lament. Here's the second half of verse 8 into verse 9. He's describing their eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. They lurk in secret like a lion in its covert. They lurk that they may seize the poor. They seize the poor and drag them off in their net. So he's like, God, he's describing the pain to God. He's describing the pain in further detail. But then he doesn't stop there. He petitions God to act, to intervene. Verse 15, he says, Break the arm of the wicked and evildoers. Seek out their wickedness until you, until you find none. Now, to break the arm of the wicked basically means stop them, God. God, would you stop what's going on? Will you stop this injustice? Will you stop this oppression? Will you stop what leads people to do this or to do that? God, would you stop any form of, of ideology or posture or belief that would lead to another residential school thing? Would you stop it, right? Right? And so this part of lament is a petition asking God for help or intervention or comfort or guidance. And then here's the last one, verse 17. O Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed so that those from earth may strike terror no more. Notice how it's future. You will do this. You will do that. The lament leads to believing God's promised future. It doesn't leave us just hanging, but it, it leads us to believe God's promised future. He will do this. He will act. He will bring relief. And whether it's fully in this moment or as we know as Christ followers in the new creation, it will be done. And so we see this in this psalm. And, and I, here's what I'm inviting you you want to lean into a social crisis with your soul, learn to lament read psalms like psalm 10 or 13 or 22 or 77 or 43 these are psalms you can read and learn what it means to lament but here's what else you can do make it really relevant make it really modern use your own words and and write your own lament take this this five-point pattern and write your own lament address god share what's going on bring questions you know lean into what's happening and look towards god's future There's a a writer, his name is Mark Rogop, and regarding tragedy, he, he writes this. It's really a great phrase. He says, the practice of lament is one of the most theologically informed actions a person can take regarding tragedy. And then he says this, to cry is human, to lament is Christian. It's true. We're all humans here. And regardless, if you're watching from home or you're just listening to this for the first time and you're wondering, who are these people? It's true. To cry is human. But lament is something completely different. To lament is fueled by the Christian story, both in Israel and the church. To lament is Christian. And then what we do with our soul as we contemplate and bring this before God, we can lean in. We can lean in. And when we lean in, we ask God, God, what do you want me to see in this? What do you want me to see in this tragedy, whether it's personal or around the world? What do you want me to learn from this? What do you want me to do in the middle of this? And you know what? You might be tempted to do all kinds of stuff. Oh my gosh, maybe I should give to this. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should move across the world. Maybe I should get involved in this this issue. And maybe that might be the case, but let's be realistic. You can't do everything, right? You can't do everything. I'd encourage you to do for one what you would love to do for everyone and at least do that. But here's what the scriptures call us to, regardless, I don't have to like do some crazy exegetical, you know, um, jumping jacks to tell you this. Love your neighbor in the crisis. Love your neighbor in the crisis. Jesus told us, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself and we keep getting that over and over again. If we truly love God, we're gonna love people. So how do we lean in? We love our neighbor in the crisis. But you're saying, but I can't love the Palestinian and the Israeli. I'm not there. I can't love the indigenous people uh, right now, those those families who were affected. I can't love that, that Muslim family or network in London, Ontario. I'm not there. And let me just say it this way. This is a simple way for me to understand it, and hopefully it's helpful for you. Love the nations by loving your neighbor. Love the nations by loving your neighbor. Love the Muslim community in Canada by loving your Muslim neighbor. Love the Palestinian or Israeli across the world by loving your Palestinian or Israeli neighbor. I know that there's complex topics, but it's not complex when Jesus says love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love the nations by loving your neighbor. And love your neighbor by loving the nations. Sometimes it means getting involved globally. And you will be loving your neighbor by loving the nations. They both work. When uh, Ramadan started uh, uh, several weeks ago now, um, a friend from church from West Side emailed me and said, hey, you know, are we really aware of the Muslim communities in the West Island? Do they know that we're around? And Ramadan is starting today. You know, are we praying? And I just, it just like, I said, yeah, you know what, this is often off our radar and and so I said, hey, if you can find me the contact or the websites or something of three Muslim communities in the West Island or near us, send them to me. So he did, and I, and I just decided, I found like the point person, uh, did some research, and I emailed all three of them. And all, all I said was this. I, I, you know, I said, hey, I said, uh, I didn't say hey. I said, <laughs> hey, I'm Dave. Um, so I just introduced myself, who we are, and all I said was, I know that you're starting Ramadan this week, and I want to let you know that I'm praying for you as you engage this process of fasting and prayer, that God will fulfill the desires that you're searching for in your heart. Now, I, that's all I said, because that's the simplest way to say, say this, and then trust that God's going to work if I'm praying, right? Like, I'm not, and only one of them responded back, and, and I invited them to get together or chat and said, you know what, yeah, one day I would, when this whole pandemic thing is over, I'd love to take a walk or talk and, and, uh, and be able to get to know you. And I'm like, okay, that was it. That was the first simple way of loving my neighbor to love the nations. Um, I, we weren't like discussing belief or differences of belief because there obviously are, but it's just a way to love our neighbor by loving the nations by loving our neighbor. Because when we approach these social issues, think about it, with our body, with our mind, with our soul, this is what happens. We become a witness of God's kingdom to the world. We become a witness of God's kingdom to the issues. We become a witness of God's kingdom and values and hopes and dreams to the people that are being affected by this, or us, where we become a witness to the world that is affected. And one of the things that I grieve about is when the church immediately wants to let everybody know exactly what they think without getting their hands dirty in the issue because we will not only be a witness by our words or by an articulate way of describing what we think or believe. God will use us to be a witness through our words, but he will use us to be a witness as we engage the social crises in our world, the people around us, with our bodies, with our minds, with our souls. And I have hope that that could be, God will use that in incredible ways in us. And it will also help us deal with the burden, the paralyzation that often comes from these social crises. I want to let you know, this is not new stuff. It's not like you, we're the only ones in world history who are dealing with this. The church in the first century grew up in the middle of the Roman Empire that was For the first time, one of the most diverse, eclectic, pluralistic societies in human history. And one writer from the Atlantic Monthly, his name is Robert Wright, and I read this quote from an incredible book called Bold Love by Bob Roberts. Just remember that. Bold Love. I'm telling you, read the book. It's a great book. But he quotes Robert Wright. He says, The Roman Empire, the century after the resurrection, was in a time of dislocation dislocation. That sounds like chaos, disorientation, uproar. It was in a time of dislocation. Why? Because people streamed into the cities from the farms and the towns, and when they did that, they encountered alien cultures. Not literally alien cultures, meaning foreign cultures. Like, oh, you're different than me. You speak a different language than me. You have different food than me. The way you cook your chicken smells different than the way I cook my chicken. Whatever, right? And then we have a different way of approaching these things, and all of a sudden... They were faced with this flux of information and, and differences that they never had to before, and they did it without the support of their family back home or their network or their neighborhood. They were now in, the, in these cities run by the Roman Empire in the middle of all this chaos, and they felt, like, dislocated, disoriented. Why am I telling you that? Because that's, the, the, that's where the church grew up. The church existed in that era. The church grew started multiplied reached out spread the gospel in the middle of that dislocation and disorientation and how they were able to do that is because they were also immersed in the biblical story of being able to lament the tragedies of their world, to lament when little, girls were le- little baby girls were left as garbage, in, in garbage heaps, when, when people were left hungry, when lepers were isolated. They, they lamented over those things. They brought it to the Lord, but then they leaned in to those moments, to those social crises, and they did it looking forward with hope because they knew the end of the story. They knew the end of the story. So I saved this quote from Esau Macaulay for the end, who wrote Reading reading While Black. He writes this in the middle of his tension between nihilism or despair and hope. And he says, Christian tradition fights for and makes room for hope in a world that tempts us towards despair. Christian tradition, now don't get caught up with the word tradition. Christian tradition, the biblical story, what it means to be a Christ follower, who God is, the story of Christ, the Christian tradition fights for and makes room for hope in a world that tempts us towards despair. That's a big difference. And I believe we can, it doesn't mean that that, that you're going to be happy every day. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go well because you and I believe in God. It doesn't mean that these social crises will disappear. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy to lament or to lean in. But it means that we can lament, we can lean into these struggles while looking forward with hope because the Christian story fights for and makes room for hope in the middle of despair. Because we know that God calls us one day to fully, to see the hope revealed and realized in fullness of redemption. Amen? Let's pause and pray. And as we pray today, I want to just invite us in. Really briefly to this to this kind of five-step process of lament. Maybe I'll let you fill in the blanks of the the social crisis that affects you the most, or that you're burdened with the most. And I'll just address one of them. And leave us space for more beyond this moment. Oh God, where are you? Where are you today? Where are you today, God, in the middle of tragedy? In the middle of the aftermath of murder? In the middle of intolerant injustice? Where are you, God? Lord, you saw the actions, the decisions, the people involved in the in what was recently revealed as the remains of 215 children. God, you saw the motives behind that act from the state and even from the church we have to confess. Oh God, you s- the pain, the greed, the motive to wipe out a cultural history. God, we bring that before you. We don't fully know how to handle all of that, but we bring it before you. And we bring the pain of what happened then and what is being relived now. We bring that pain. God, we ask you, please. We do not want to see another event like this. We do not want to see the marriage of church and state for a horrible outcome like this. We don't want to see corporate greed that bulldozes over life and environment and health. God, we don't want to see these things. Lord, would you intervene? Help us to learn through it, see through it, discern through it, and lean in where you call us. And if we can't be there presently, Lord, show us how we can love our neighbor so we can love that people group or the nations. And God, we look forward with hope. You will restore. You will expose. You will correct. You will bring justice. And while we pray for it today in a speedy way, we also recognize and lean into the the truth, Lord, that you one day will wipe away every tear and right every wrong and make all things right. But we pray also that we could make room and fight for hope when the world tempts us towards despair. We thank you that we can, that this is just a, a, an honest, real way that you, through the Christian story, invite us to deal with the experience and emotions of the social crises
0: in our world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you, ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.